0: Praise the Lord, praise the living Jesus, praise the almighty God. I'm so excited that you have joined us this evening. Welcome to Rising Generation Week. Um, It's an amazing time to be in the presence of God and I hope that joining us tonight you'll be blessed. Let's just rise up on our feet as we pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening with a heart of gratitude, saying thank you for all that you have done for us. You've been faithful. You've been so faithful. And even now we have come to draw from you to receive the word of life. Father, we ask that you will help us to receive this word with joy and with gladness. And that this word will find good ground in us. And it will be all the fruits for which you were sent in us. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen. 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 As you know, at Rising Generation Church, we have our confession that we usually start with, right? So you will just repeat after me wherever you are. This is the word of God. It is God speaking to me. My heart, my ears are attentive. My heart is receptive. As I am taught the word, the seed of life will be planted. It will surely grow deep roots it will produce its fruits in me. Amen. Amen. So today, we're going to be discussing a topic that God has put on my heart for us. And as you might have seen it on social media or wherever you might have seen it, the topic is eternity starts now, right? The topic says eternity starts now. This is something that I found after a few, you know, like many believers, you've been studying the Word, you you start to get an understanding. But then you get to a place where you're starting to think, is this it? Like, what else is there? What else is there? What else is there? Right? And there's something that I started to do when I started to study the book of Revelations. I started to see about all these amazing things, all these wonderful things that was available, that was present. And I started to think, Okay, so how come there's all these things that are available? It speaks of the better future, all of these things. And I was, in a way, I felt kind of like a little bit unsatisfied with our current life here on this earth. And it was something that God spoke to me that was amazing that is the basis for this topic. God said to me, He said, my children continue to expect something of me in future. They still expect this eternity that is going to happen, a place where everything is perfect. And he said, he said to me, that place already exists. And it only takes my children being alive within them to recognize that for believers, eternity is not a place that we're still hoping to get to, but rather it's a place that we are right now. It might seem challenging to believe because you're thinking eternity is such a long time. But as we go through the topic today, we start to see that, no, truly, truly, we are in our own eternity. We are in our own eternity, right? First, let me establish a basis because if we don't understand this thing that I'm about to talk about, and I'm sure many people have mentioned it, you've heard it in teachings, various places. It's the concept of who you are. It's who you are right that is so vitally important for us as christians because if we don't understand that we will have the wrong perspective of eternity right you should know as a believer by now or rather we should we should aspire to know that we are not this physical flesh and blood body that we see here physically like the me you see right now on stage is not me It is the body in which I am in, right? I am first a spirit, right? I am first a spirit, right? And so when I think of eternity, if I don't think of eternity in relation to the spirit, I will forever be limited by what I think, my perspective. And that will keep me from a lot of things that God has already provided for me, right? So if we open our Bibles to Galatians 2 verse 20, right Galatians 2 verse 20 it says something amazing it says my old self has been crucified with Christ my old self has been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me right Christ lives in me so I live in this earthly body see the distinction right there I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Already, right there, you make the distinction between who you are, the spirit man, the real one, the real person. Make the distinction. That old person died. Because if you still continue to see yourself as this physical body, you will tend to limit yourself with your view of eternity. Because you know that... (laughs) If Jesus doesn't come, all of us are going to (laughs) die. Don't be afraid of it. But if Jesus doesn't come, death is part of the program, right? And you will see it is mentioned in Scripture, even though our body will die because of sin, but no, we, the real us, the spirit man, right? The spirit man who is our lens through which we are going to look at eternity today, he is alive, right? Right? So eternity for us as believers stems from, you have to look at it spiritually, which means I'm not associating my eternity with my physical body. What does God say about eternity for my spirit man, right? In Galatians 2.20, like we read, it says it's the life of Christ that we now live, right? It's God's life, not our own life that was filled and riddled with the the old nature, but the nature of God himself. He substituted, he removed that old one and he put the nature, the life of his son Jesus in us. That life is the one that is now giving life to us, right? He's the one that's giving life to this evil physical body that we carry. He's the one giving life to it. The life stems from inside of us. So (laughs) your physical body, yes, is being Sustained, Yes, on this earth. But it's being sustained by the spirit that is in you. It's being sustained by the spirit that is in you. Because our body is already on the path of death. Right? It's the spirit in us that gives, Christ's spirit gives life to our mortal bodies. Right? So once we make that distinction, we can see that if Christ is eternal, right? We know he's eternal, right? Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same way he's if he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, if he's going to live forever, if that's the same life that's in us, it means that the life in us is eternal life. This life that we have received, and further in the scripture, we'll go down, we'll see there's a scripture that clearly states it like that. The life we have received is the eternal life of Christ. Right? So if God did not have eternity in mind, why put something eternal in us? Why let us associate with eternity while on this earth? Because he had eternity in mind. He's not waiting for us to get to a place to start to think of our final life. He provided it for us, made it acceptable, brought it to us, and gave us access to it all through Jesus. Because if we receive the life of Jesus, we receive eternal life. Right? So we don't have to wait till we get to heaven or we're thinking of this you know, place where everything is perfect because before we start thinking of our eternity. Because even in eternity, you have to realize like, and if this, like I said, reading the book of Revelations, you realize that at the end of life, it all amounts to one thing, worship, worship. In heaven, all they're doing is worship. All they're doing is worship, right? And on this earth, God did something amazing for us. He says, when you pray, pray like this. Let your will be done on earth as it's being done where? In heaven. And if in heaven all they do is worship, it means that the pattern for which earth was supposed to operate is that when everything comes together, everybody is in worship to God. Everybody is in worship to God. Right? That's why eternity matters. Because if you think eternity is someplace else, you will think this earth is simply just relegated to what God wants to do with us is just like, okay, make us, you know, you have a good job, all of those things. You, you're, you have a good life, you know? And <laughs> I think in a way, a, a good life can sometimes be a danger to Christians because we think, oh, this is the limit, this is it. We've quantified all that God has for us into, oh, a good life. Your, 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 you have a good job, your kids are great business is going right, you have money, all of those things. And so it limits our view of God. We don't come to actually experience him, what he wanted when he put an eternal life in us, which was ultimately fellowship. Fellowship doesn't have to wait till the day you die. Your eternity is not after you die. It starts now. Fellowship and worship is all this life is going to be about, now and forever, right? So it's not something that we have to pass into heaven to start. It's something that has already begun. And in understanding this, because from, for today, and as I was talking to the ministers, it's, there's different layers to this, but today we're going to speak eternity, but looking at freedom, right? I called it the first gift of eternity, freedom, right? I said I called it, just it, it's not you don't have to open that's what I just called it because I just saw that that was the first thing that stood out to me every time I thought about eternity as God was showing it to me and he said to me there's more to come but he said for now just look at it freedom that's the first thing eternity when eternity comes to your head just think freedom and so he began to show me right If we open John chapter 8, verse 32, and then we're also going to read 34 to 36, but let's start with 32. He says, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Right? You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Who is the truth? Right? There was somebody who walked this out that said, I am the way, and the what? The truth and the life right so jesus here if you know the truth the truth will set you free when jesus christ came he says i've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly the father if you knew, he constantly told the pharisees if you knew abraham you would know me and you would know that i was sent so to know jesus is to come to know a life of freedom because once you know him and i mean knowing him not just hearing about him not just not just you know having a a a third hand or second hand understanding of him because i specifically remember the day god said to me i remember when i was at tops he said to me there's no such thing as bondage for a believer right it is simply the bondage any believer is in thank you the bondage any believer is in is simply one where he has this believer has come to accept the lies that the enemy has created, right? The enemy has created those lies, right? And you have come to believe it. So it looks like you're in bondage, but he said, the moment anyone comes to know the truth, in any situation, to know the truth, you will receive freedom. You will receive freedom. And freedom is so important for eternity because if you're going to live in eternity it's better to live free than to live in bondage would you agree if you're going to live in eternity it's better for you to live free than to live in bondage right so when Jesus Christ came on this earth and he said he has come to give us life guess what the first thing he did he saved us and he redeemed us right that's the first thing he did. In doing that, he took care of a lot of things for us. And we'll exhaust that today a little bit, right? So freedom is so vital for eternity, like I said, because if you, are, if you have the, the mindset of eternity and you have the mindset of the eternal things and you are already setting your foot on the path by the help of the Holy Spirit to walk in those eternal things, you must be free indeed. Right? You must be free. You must be free. We must be free. Free to do what? Free to do what? Right? Bondage is dangerous. Right? But the enemy created a a special kind of bondage for believers. It's one that is disguised in ourselves. Is one that is disguised in ourselves, where the enemy sees the things that, that, that entice you, the things that you have believed, the things that you have agreed. That's why different people in different places will be going through the same, different, like I didn't say the same, not in the same as in like things are the same thing happening to them, but they're going through different things. It seems different things, but it's all designed for the same purpose keep you away from that fellowship with God. So for somebody, it might be that you don't have financial breakthrough. It does not matter to the enemy that you don't have money. It's all designed to keep you from that eternal fellowship that Christ has come to provide for us, that freedom. You are not free if you are still subject. If (laughs) you are not free if you are still subject to the things of this life, keeping you away from the fellowship of God if you're sick in your body and you can't pray and you can't fellowship with God, you're not living the life that God has prepared. You're not experiencing the eternity that God has prepared. Right? Let's open the Bible to John chapter 19, verse 28 to 30. Right? It says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were accomplished and the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now, a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on his cup, and put it on his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Right? Bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Now, let's open Isaiah 51, verse 21 to 23. Isaiah 51, 21 to 23. It says, so hear this, you who are suffering, right? Who are drunk, but not with wine, right? Verse 22, your Lord, the Lord your God, who fights for his people says, right? The Lord your God who fights for his people says see i have taken out of your hand that makes i've taken out of your hand that makes you have trouble walking right you will never drink from the cup of my anger again right that's what he says he says You will never drink from the cup of my anger again, verse 23. I will put it into the hands of those who make it hard for you, right? Who make it hard for you. I told you the enemy creates an illusion of bondage. What does he say? He makes it hard for you. He says to you, lie down. This is him telling you, lie down that we may walk over you. This is, what, this is what the life of everybody before they came to Jesus to know freedom was. He will say to you, lie down that we walk over you. You have, made, you have made your back like the ground and like the street for them to walk over. You have made the ground. They said to you, but you had no choice. You couldn't do anything else but respond. That's what bondage is. You don't even, like they're telling you what is going to happen to you, and you don't even have the choice to choose differently. That's real bondage. But Christ came to give us freedom, right? John chapter 19, verse 28 to 30 that we read prior to this, see what Jesus did in verse 29. He says, now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a the sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop and put it in his mouth, right? Because Isaiah said that God has already spoken to us that we will never again drink of that cup. So guess who drank that cup? Jesus. Right there, fulfilling prophecy right in front of us. He drank that cup. He drank that cup that kept us in bondage. Everything that kept us in bondage By him drinking that blood, by him drinking that cup, he set us free. He set us free. By his blood, we are completely free. Again, eternity is necessary. The mindset is necessary to keep yourself understanding that I'm already in the final form of my life. As a spirit man, I won't get better than this. This is it. Everything that I have is available right now in God and I can walk in it. Right? But for you to be able to properly, yeah, thank you. For you, thank you, Pastor. For you to be able to properly walk in the fullness of it, we have to, in our minds, recognize that we are now free. Right? Jesus, by his blood, made us free, right? The, again, the bondage that the enemy created was a bondage that looked like, like I said, they told you, see what Isaiah said, they told you to lay your back down so that they will walk over you. That's what we read, right? It's not that. <laughs> they told you and you had no choice but to do it. That's bondage, Right? To the Israelites, let's read Deuteronomy 20, 30, verse 19 to 20. I want to show you what this bondage is because sometimes when, whenever, whenever we teach about what Jesus did on the cross, sometimes we can make it all too familiar. But sometimes we need to remind ourselves that it was bigger than, than just singing here, oh, the blood of Jesus. It's, it's amazing. In Deuteronomy 20, 30, verse 19 to 20, 19 says, today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. This is God speaking. Oh, that you will choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Verse 20. This is how you make this choice. How do you make the choice of life? Eternal life, right? How do you make the choice of life? By loving the Lord your God obeying him and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will, live the long, you will live long in the land and the land swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was the requirement. But come and see the bondage that they were in. The key to life was to love God. But how can you love God? When you have a nature that is inherently in hatred towards God. How? How? By nature, you can't even love. So when God says you are to love me, he basically painted a picture of something that would never happen. When he says you are to obey him, You know, the scripture says that if you love me, you will obey my commandments. You can't even obey God till you love him. And how can you love when your nature is not even nature of love, but rather nature of hate, death, decay. And he says, commit yourself to him. What does the Bible tell us in Galatians 5.17? It says the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants right and the spirit gives us desires right that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires so how can a sinful nature commit to a nature of love but yet god says this is what you need to do to live so tell me who else was in more bondage in this world than mankind its bondage that you yourself cannot even comprehend right Think of, a, think of a fish in an aquarium. A fish in an aquarium cannot even begin to comprehend the vastness of the ocean. Because to a fish in the ocean, it's not that the fish is not still in water. It's not that it does not still have a place that it's living. They feed it, but they have conditioned it to, to be in this little area. It cannot succeed outside of this area that's been created out of it. And so that was how man was. There was no matter what man could do, you could not operates in a freedom that existed outside of the nature that you had and so God cried and so Jesus came and did something amazing he redeemed us provided freedom from that nature so that now we can receive his life and now we no longer have to walk we no longer have to do these things by toiling, but rather his own spirit does it naturally because it's now our nature. We do these things of, we live this life by nature. By nature. By nature. And it's important to know that that is by nature. It's by nature. It's by nature. I think I was telling Kevin the other day, no matter how nice dogs can ever be I will never be barking as a human being like it's not necessary like I don't need it it's not my way of living it's not like how can I produce I could try to produce the sound but it's no that's not my nature I'm a human being I speak I communicate I talk right I don't go back to my vomit. I don't don't sleep outside. I'm not a dog. That's a dog. That's their nature. I'm, I'm a human being. So by nature, I behave like a human being. So by nature, this life that they should choose, God offers it freely. Breaks the power that keeps you from choosing that life and offers it to us on a platter of gold and says, just believe in the name of my son, Jesus, in the one I've sent, and you will have it. That is so important. Because when, if that is is not registered within us, you will live in bondage. Right? And we're going to start talking about these things that God sets us free from. Right? We'll live in bondage, something that God never prepared for us. Right? The first... Freedom, once we receive Jesus, right, is the freedom from self. I told you that the devil creates a bondage that's disguised as self, right? Flesh, you, the things you like, this, your body, the passions. But immediately you receive Jesus, something amazing happens. He releases a power upon us to be able to now choose life. You get what I'm saying he releases a power upon us to be able to choose life Romans 8 10 to 12 tells us it says and Christ lives within you Romans 8 10 to 12 and Christ lives within you so even though your body would die because of sin again the separation the spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God right keep going further The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Right? Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation, verse 12, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You have no obligation. You are free, in other words. Right? You are free. And why is this important? Because I see many of us as Christians, we still identify with the dead man so much. We have yet to come to become familiar with ourselves, the living spirit man. We, I mean, in a way you really understand like, ah, I mean, you live with this body like all your life and you just come to know Christ, but that's what he's doing. He wants to change that and that's why we're discussing this tonight. He wants us to dissociate from that dead man and welcome and embrace this new spirit man that we are. And amazingly, he used a word here that in the spirit, God showed me something. He says, You have no obligation to do what the sinful nature urges you to do. What was the one thing that caused the problem in the first place? If you go back to the Garden of Eden, the, the, the nature, the enticement, self, you will know, you will become like God. What the flesh wants. It's what started it in the first place. And immediately God came to release us of it. He says, the first thing I will give you is now you have the choice to say no. I don't know what they didn't know in the garden and I can never explain that. That's for God to know. But now I know that we have the authority, the power, and the grace to say no. Right? Right? And you can easily start to say no when you realize that this person you're saying no to is not truly you. And the the reality is if you listen to him, the end thereof is destruction. So quickly start to dissociate yourself from your physical dead man. And rather than do what Adam did by letting the flesh control, you subdue your flesh. Do not Follow the obligation. So the first, free, the first, like I said, this is the things that I saw, is freedom from yourself. Freedom from yourself. The dead man. The dead man. The old dead man. Freedom from that man. Freedom from that man. I really hope God opens our eyes to see it. Because truly, some of us, like, th- that man is dead, but we still carry the dead man with us. Everywhere we go, he's dead. Let him stay dead. Every time he tries to raise his head up, shut him down. That's why the Bible says, cast down every thought and imagination that tries to exalt itself. Why? Why can you cast him down? Because you have no obligation to do what he says. And again, he's in enmity with God. So why should we follow him? Right? Romans 6, 12 to 14, it, it also repeats the same thing. We don't have to read it too much, but it says, like, the, the important thing there that it says in verse 13, it says, do not let any part of your body become an instrument for evil to serve sin. Like, the Bible, constant, and I, the, the more I got to this point, the more I realized, like, this sermon is quite literally almost like a tie-in from Uncommon, because this is where I stopped in Uncommon. You don't have to, you don't have to, Right? You don't have to. And, and I know you're thinking, oh, if you allow the enemy to use you, does that mean you're no longer a Christian? Does that? I want you to know that the enemy used Peter to try to tempt Jesus. It's not the end of the world if you, are, if, you, if you get used by the enemy. But he says you shouldn't allow it. You shouldn't allow it. We shouldn't allow it. We are the temple of God. This is where he dwells now. Our members should be for him completely. Completely. Completely, and that doesn't just mean, like, oh, don't take your neighbor's stuff, don't tell lies, don't do these things. It means the things he's asking you to do as well. Right? You you want to do something, he says, don't do that. Submit your body, submit your mind, submit your own will, submit your ego, submit whatever it is to him. Right. So the first freedom is that freedom from ourselves. Freedom from ourselves, right? Let's read 1 Peter 1, 13 to 15. 1 Peter 1, 13 to 15. He says, So prepare your minds for action. I love the way the, the, the words there were put. He says, prepare your mind. As a believer, don't just, don't just live anyhow. Don't just let anything in. Prepare your mind. Keep your mind focused on these truths. Let your mind be exercising. Be pre- let, it, let it ruminate on the fact that I am free. I am a spirit man. I don't have to oblige to the flesh, right? Prepare your minds for action and then exercise self-control. Prepare you're not, it's not the day you need the self-control that you're going to exercise it. Prepare. Meditate on this word day and night. Go into it. Let the Holy Spirit reveal to us these freedoms. Let it become something that we know, know, know of a truth. Right? And then we exercise it. Right? It says, put all hope in the glorious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living, yeah? Don't slip back because, again, God saved us, but what he didn't do was become a tyrant when he saved us. He saved us, but you still have the choice to reject him or to accept him, eh? So, again, like he said to the Israelites, choose life. Now he's telling us, I've made sure you could choose life now. I've made sure you have everything to choose life. I've made sure you're free to choose life. So don't go about sleeping. I love why he used sleeping, because sleeping, it, it, can be, it can be gradual, right? It can be gradual. You, you don't just fall into your old ways. He says don't slip back. It, it might look subtle. You know, you, one day you allow your eyes to be used. The next day you are going to allow your hands to be used. And eventually your legs too will follow, and then your car too will follow, and then now all of you are pointing. But man, don't allow, he says, don't allow. Right? I love the last part. It says, Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. Why? Why? You didn't know any better. Look at how God trivializes this thing of following our flesh. He says the only reason why you follow your flesh is not, it's not because you think the flesh has these things. It's because you didn't know any better. If you knew better, you wouldn't do it. It changes the way you pray for somebody who is, who is going through something, right? Or who, who is committing something perpetually or there is something. You, don't, you, you are no longer trying to say, God, why are you doing this? Why are you always doing this? Are, don't blame them. They just don't know any better. So pray for them. That God opened their eyes so that they will know better. Because when they are free, when they know the truth, they will be free. And then their eternity can begin. Anyways. <laughs> if we read in that same 1 Peter chapter 1, but we read from verse 23. right? This is that scripture that I told you. It says it quite literally. It says, for you have been born again. Not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last when? Forever. Right? So, Pastor, you, the Spirit, you the Spirit man, me the Spirit man who is here, is not different from the Spirit men who will be in heaven who will experience God. It's not different. So why can't we associate with that man and live in the realities that have been made for that man? Right? It says your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. The word that we have believed. He he renews it daily. Every time you study, he gives it. He renews it, quickens your spirit, gives life. It's eternal. His very words, they are life. And we will be talking to God forever. I mean, if you believe that you're going to be with him forever. So, I believe I'm going to be with him forever. So, if I'm going to be with him forever, it's going to continue speaking with me forever, which means I'm going to be continually imbued with life forever. This life that I receive is forever. I don't have to change myself because I'm living on the earth and think that I cannot experience all that God has made. So now the second thing, the free, first one, freedom from self, yourself. Second one, freedom from condemnation. Oh, this one's big. Freedom from condemnation. And I'm saying this right after the freedom for self. Let's turn our Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. God is so amazing. It says, you are my dear children. This is John writing. And I write these things to you so that you won't sin. But if anyone does sin, isn't this amazing? If anyone does sin, we continually have a forgiving Redeemer who is face to face with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Right? He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let's read Romans 8, chapter 1 to 4. We're going to tie these scriptures together right here. It says, So now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one. Right? For the law of the spirit of life flowing through the anointing of Jesus has liberated us from the law of sin and death. For God achieved what the law was unable to accomplish because the law was limited by the weakness of human nature, bondage. Yet God sent us his son in human form to identify with human weakness. Clothed with humanity, God's son gave his body to be the sin offering. Right? He took that cup. All right, So that God could once and for all, this is it. So that God could once and for all condemn the guilt and power of sin. That's why when Isaiah prophesied and said this cup of sorrow, this cup of guilt and condemnation, you will not again drink from that cup. It's because like Jesus said in John, and we read it ahead, he said, I am thirsty and they gave him the cup. It was a bitter cup. He drank it, the physical representation. But now we can see that even so, because he did all of that, the Bible says one thing. God has put all of the punishment that was meant for us, the condemnation on Jesus. He has drank the cup of guilt and condemnation. So there's remaining no condemnation. Right? God does not have anything left to accuse you of. Right? Maybe you haven't read it like that. When he says there's no longer any condemnation, in other words, all condemnation that was supposed to be levied because there were condemnations for us. We messed up. But he has, right? He has taken it. Jesus has taken it. So there's nothing left. If, if the, quite literally, if the cup, right? The cup was filled. He drank it. And once you drink them, if you drink the contents of the cup, what's left in the cup? Nothing nothing so so look at this when you do make a mistake when you fall into sin the bible says confess your sins he's faithful and just to forgive you right god right you might have made a mistake but god will not make it a point of condemning you rather by his word and by his spirit he will draw you closer to him to his throne that you might come boldly and obtain mercy. His spirit will draw you closer, right? Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. It's not that we should then go on sinning like Paul said, but if you do sin, that grace is available. So what happens is there's no condemnation. God made sure that whenever he's going to deal with his children since Jesus came, the devil has no right to come in. Right? There's this famous um, adage in Yoruba. It says, Bami no olomo." right? In other words, when somebody tells you, beat my child, he's not saying it from his heart. He's not saying it from his heart. Because that's my child. That's my child. I'll never forget this experience. It's so funny because the things that happen that you don't see how God is going to use it to teach you. We were in boarding school. Oliphant knows this story. We were in boarding school, right? Myself and my sister, she had just come. And there was this teacher. And I I don't know, my sister had like, I think she had a a boil on a part of her body. And she had mentioned to the teacher that she had a boil. But the teacher, you know in Nigeria, like you could spank you or something. And the teacher didn't want to listen. So he... He beats my sister, yeah? And then all started bleeding, right? Because it it ripped her skin and everything. And, well, all we did was call my dad. All we did was call my dad. And he came. He came and he came. Because this is his child. It didn't matter what my sister did. It didn't matter. It didn't matter what she did, but he touched. That's not your child. It's not you to punish. It's not you to condemn. It's not yours to mess with. And what did he describe us as? The apple of his eyes. So when you sin, it's not to say that you don't feel the weight of what has happened. But in the feeling of the weight that has happened, it draws you closer to the mercy of God. And by his grace, he helps you, strengthens us, frees us, equips us in not condemning us to be able to live free. And I'll explain that to us. Right? If we read... Isaiah 61 verse 7. It says, instead of shame and dishonor, you, me, will enjoy a double share of honor. Instead of shame and dishonor that comes with condemnation and all of those things. Instead of shame and dishonor, we will enjoy a double share of honor. We will possess a double portion of prosperity in, our, in, our, in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. Right? When you're in shame, when you're in shame, you cannot experience joy. When you're in shame, you can't even live. Like right? When you're in shame, you cower, you, you go in hiding. And that's not who we were created to be. Like I said, eternity, right? We, we There are things that are in eternity that we could start to experience, one of which was complete worship at all times, right? And then the other part is this next one that this ties into, the freedom to reign. The freedom to reign, right? Because if you are in condemnation, you can't, I don't want, let me not say you can't, but it will be a struggle to be able to accomplish all that God wants to do through you if you are living in condemnation. And God knew that. God knew that, right? Let's open Luke fifteen seventeen to 24. We don't have to read it. I'll just go through it real quickly. This is the parable of the, of the prodigal son. It says, when he came to his senses... Look at that. When he came to his senses, in other words, something has been happening in this mind of the prodigal son. And I'll show you what has been happening. He says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and I'm here, and here I am starving to death. He had gotten to the point of shame. Right? Here is the son. Over time, has gotten to the place of shame where now, the only thing he can come to accept is look even if my father even if, okay, yes, okay he won't accept me, yes, he won't accept me, he'll be so mad, okay but at least, maybe he can make me a servant, but because this suffering is too much see what a mindset condemnation is doing see what condemnation was doing to him right, now He came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him. Right? I want you to underline that. Well, (laughs) you you could put a marker in your Bible app. I will set out and go back to my father. There's something important there that God showed me. By the time he was saying this, even he had the understanding that he could go back to the father whenever he wanted. He understood that the door to the father was not closed to him. The father is still a merciful God, right? I will go to him and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you verse 19 I am no longer worthy to be called your son right this is what he's thinking think what the mindset of condemnation is doing all of these things he's doing by himself by himself what the mindset filled with condemnation can do to a believer I'm no longer worthy to be called to your son make me like one of your hired servants let me settle for just a good life I told you a good life is, a, is a dangerous to a believer, right? Because the servants, what did he describe? They have food and they have a place to stay. It's a good life, but it's a servant's life. It's not the life of a son, right? So he got up, right? He has concluded by himself. He got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, A long way off. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Completely two different perspectives, right? Then the son said to him, right? Like all of us do. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants. He spoke to the father and was saying things that don't even line up. And the father didn't even bother to respond with it. All these our, oh, God, remember me. I'm just this broken. This, he does not respond to that. What does he say? When you've come to me, he says to the servant, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and a sandals on his feet. And God said to me, immediately he came home. His father He was thinking he was going to be a servant, but immediately he came back. The father, compassion, not condemnation, compassion restored him back to his place where he was, the place where he was to reign. Reign, how do we know that? Because not only do they put a robe on him, right a robe that clothes him that all the dirt that was around him all the things that was making him unclean they put a clean rope over him to cover him so we are no longer looking at the sin the dirty man anymore we're looking at the road man you who has been transformed right and he put a ring on his finger a sign of covenant right and he put a sandals on his feet A place for you a place of peace where you can come and rest this is your domain now right and the bible says they brought the it says bring the fattened calf and kill it and they began to celebrate that is our life you can only celebrate rejoice and have all these things reign in life when you are not consumed by condemnation And let me even take it further because he says there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Those who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit, right? Walking after the Spirit. Again, he has freed us from the flesh, right? So this condemnation does not have to be ours because the condition for no condemnation, which is to walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh, we have even received freedom to do. Isn't God a wonderful God? (laughs) Oh, man. And the truth is condemnation is not just for things that seem like they're bad, especially for believers. And I wanted to say this because sometimes even we as believers, we have created some new kind of ways to keep ourselves in condemnation. Such as we create things like, oh, this is how you're supposed to do this, you're supposed to do that, you get... You, you feel like you are not, your spiritual life is not strong enough or something because you don't pray like this person is. You know, there's not many people here in person, but if you have ever felt like, wow, God, is my life, my spiritual life not moving forward? Not because you felt anything, but just simply because maybe you heard somebody praying in the night or you saw somebody always in church. They're always here. They're always sweeping the church. They're always doing that. And you, you're now thinking to yourself, God, why can't I? But you walk the night shift. But <laughs> you walk the night shift. Why are you putting yourself in condemnation that's unnecessary? Right? But all of those things, see how if you don't understand the redemptive work, if you don't understand that it was never by all these things that you were doing, all of these things were given to you, the fellowship in itself. And God liberated me from this one day when I was reading Genesis again. He said, in the cool of the day, God came and fellowshiped with them. In the cool of the day. And I said, God, you come down to fellowship. And he says, yes, because I can come to you. And we spend time together. Sometimes we just think, oh, we have to set this time. I'm not saying you shouldn't set time to spend with God, but if you, re- if you say this is only how it can be, you will now see, find out that you're creating bondage even for yourself. You're creating bondage even for yourself. And, and you won't live. You will you, you live in bitterness, envy. You And now the devil, who has been taken away from your life by Jesus now finds a way back in. He finds a way. He doesn't have authority or good access to you, but because of us, he has found a way. But to reign, we can fellowship with God. Like condemnation has to be removed from your mind for you to reign. David was such David was such a prime example. He understood his weaknesses when God corrected him, he understood his faults, but he kept on moving forward with God always. Always. Always determined to go further. All right. Now, the last thing in terms of freedom I was going to give an example that, that, that was going to help us practicalize that um, freedom to reign and how condemnation. Myself, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting into like real estate and stuff, right? And I was going to do something and my dad had, you know, you know, as all fathers, he wants to invest in you. So he gave me some money to do the business with. And huh. anyways, I, I did this thing. I thought I had learned everything. I did the studying, I did the research. Anyways, long story short, I was about to do this deal, but I lost lost major money. The deal didn't go through. Lost serious money, especially because, like, my dad is in Nigeria. Like, he's giving me Nigerian Naira, and I'm spending it in dollars. (laughs) So I lost what would be considered, like, good money to him. And I remember how I felt. I was like, man, I can't even go to him to say... I said, I was ready. Like, I was prepared to pay him back by myself. I was going to work. I was going to do all that, give him the money. But I called him, and he said to me, he said, don't worry about it. He said, it's okay. This is something you're going to learn from, right? As long as you don't make this mistake again. And in that moment, I could tell you how I felt. I saw, what I saw as a failure now became an opportunity of learning. And it became a place where I could now stand on and go further. And that's what God is doing with us. He's not condemning us. My dad did not say I didn't lose money. Like, we understood that. But what he did was didn't condemn me, but have compassion. And in that place, I myself was able to understand and fortify and realize, okay, we could do things better. And what that brings is an opportunity for you to be able to fellowship more seamlessly genuinely and that's the last one i was going to talk about freedom to worship god right eternity all of this once we understand this we'll have the freedom to worship god because that's what they're doing in heaven that's what he wants us to do here his will will be done here on earth that he will be worshipped in all that we do right If we open 2 Corinthians 2 verse 15 as we close. The freedom to worship. It says our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. Because again, worship is bigger than slow songs that we sing here on Sunday. Worship is the whole life and that's it. Worship, our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. If you're a young person listening to me and you didn't realize that your education is an avenue for you to worship God. I wish I knew this when I was still in school. Just because I didn't know that my studies was a way for me to worship God. I didn't see everything I was doing as an opportunity to worship God. I just saw my life and then I saw myself coming here and worshiping God. But once you realize that our lives are a Christ-like fragrance... Right, We're free from self, free from condemnation, free to reign. Our life itself, when we're doing all those things, walking and living in that freedom, our very life will be offered as a fragrance to God. It says, but this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. I tell you, when you're living this life, this eternal life, that God has given us, when you're living it, it might look to others that your life is just eh, weird. But he already lets us know that when it looks weird, it looks weird only to those who are perishing. Let's look at an example, the last scripture and then we close. Acts 2, verse 42 to 47. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship. See a life. See an eternal life in a group of people. See it being manifested. Devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Go on. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Right, And the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Life. 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 I pray that God will give us the understanding of this word that he will open our eyes to see the truth that is in this world, to recognize that we are free and we are free to start living in eternity right now. Everything that he has provided is available. Everything in God is available. The very life we have is eternal. Don't get relegated to a life of bondage again. We are free from self, free from condemnation, free to reign, and free to worship. Lord bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.